right, welcome into the Bills beat, everyone. My name is Joe Biscali. With me, as always, Matthew Fairburn of the Athletic and the Buffalo Bills. Now two and three on the season. Hey, a game out of the old wild card, Matthew. How about that? In the hunt. In the hunt. Very much in the hunt. Perpetually in the hunt. Well, they are up against the Houston Texans this coming weekend. But, of course, there are... Uh, I guess bigger picture issues at hand uh, as we approach the week six game against the Texans. And they all have to do with the offensive side of the ball with the two most important people on the offensive side of the ball. Of course, I'm talking about Russell Bodine and Jordan Mills. No, obviously, Josh Allen and LaShawn McCoy. But uh, there's been some interesting stories or... Uh, really reports along the way or opinions uh, in one case along the way that I wanted to get into as uh, we get you ready for this upcoming game. All right, so I guess the the place we have to start because this is what most of the fan base is talking about right now. It has to do with their 30-year-old starting running back, LaShawn McCoy, who the uh, speculation around his name in terms of being a potential trade target for someone like the Philadelphia Eagles is running rampant because, for obvious reasons, he is a player, still a good player, as he showed on Sunday against the Titans in their win and on that key third-down catch-and-run that, that helped put them in position to get the victory. He is on a roster or a team that is likely not going to be playing for much this year and it it seems like they're on the rebuilding side of the of the uh football spectrum at this point in time he's 30 years old and by the time that they are thinking they're going to be good he's probably out of his prime or his contract is done uh with the bills so from that perspective you have him being out there and the Eagles, who just lost their starting runner for the season, the and he and McCoy, who, if there is one team in the league that he would love to go to, it's probably the Eagles because that's where he did everything. So the logic is all there. I guess my question, Matthew, is what's it going to take to get something like this done? Because I'm all aboard it, and I. I think they should do it in a hurry, but I also know how these guys think around here, and uh, and I wonder if uh, Sean McDermott would be willing to sacrifice his starting running back, if he even has a choice in the matter, to give get them future assets. Yeah, it's a it's a weird situation because I just don't know how much the Eagles are going to want. LaShawn McCoy um, and I say that in the sense that I'm sure they want LaShawn McCoy but how badly they want him is going to be the question and I don't know that they're going to want him badly enough to give up say a second or third round pick which might be the initial asking price um, and if it goes down to a fourth or fifth round pick is that enough for the bills to justify getting rid of their captain and one of the only good players they have on the offensive side of the ball i tend to side with you in that get rid of them mm -hmm. and get what you can for them 
But the flip side of it is you're going to eat some dead cap next year, not huge, but still some. And you're taking away yet another piece from your rookie quarterback who already doesn't have much around him. And we've already talked about how, you know, his development is everything this year. Getting rid of LaShawn McCoy doesn't do a ton to help his development. But for the price of a third-round pick, I don't think it matters. I yeah. think you just go and, and take what you get. Um, when it becomes a fourth-round pick, I still lean to the side of take that fourth-round pick. Well, you and still- also the odds are that the Eagles are going to be picking fairly deep into the order. So perhaps those third- and fourth-round picks should be more thought as a fourth or fifth round pick even though conceptually they're still in the third or fourth but if they're deep into the order then that's you've still got a bunch of teams in that round picking ahead of you yeah and that's a an important distinction the eagles aren't exactly lighting the world on fire at the moment but it is you know part of this equation and i just don't know that the eagles are desperate you know, they're painted as desperate because Jay Ajayi hurt his knee and is out for the season, but I don't know that they're so desperate that they need to be giving up a third-round pick for mm-hmm. LaShawn McCoy, who's 30 years old and has off-field troubles. There are They're probably making a lot of calls on a lot of running backs when they, you know, found out the news about uh, Ajayi going down with that injury. So it's one of those situations where... You know, I don't know that the two sides will be able to meet and get something done. Now, maybe there's another team that is willing, you know, and, and I think that's why yesterday when Sean McDermott was talking, he made a point to kind of not take LaShawn McCoy off the block, so mm-hmm. to speak. He didn't go out of it. He didn't confirm who had called or that he was for sale but he didn't deny it. And it would have been very easy to deny it. It's something they've done in the past, I feel like, haven't they, with with McCoy? It's a very important distinction. They did in the past, in fact. I I, want to say even, well, maybe not last year, but even before the season, maybe? I don't know. There was a time where where they kind of scoffed at at the notion of it. And I, I had a lot of people wondering, like, well, what did you expect him to say in that situation? And, of course, he's going... He, If the possibility exists, he's going to say exactly what he did on Wednesday. But if there is no possibility of them trading him, he can shut that down right then and there. It's a non-story from that point forward. And they go on with the rest of the season with LaShawn McCoy on their roster without having to worry about it. I also found it kind of... Um, fascinating how LaShawn McCoy kind of talked about it yesterday and it 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 wasn't even though he he was hesitant to talk about it at all um but he he essentially said that's up to the guys upstairs and my agents what right really I mean usually in situations like this it would be a flat-out denial from all parties but the fact that it like it wasn't well, Sean only said, "Yeah, I'm not think I'm not thinking about that sort of thing," um, but then dropped the line about it being part of his, uh, uh, you know, just up to the guys upstairs and his agent. And at that point, it's just like, "All right, 
because McDermott didn't deny, because LaShawn didn't flat out deny, that's, uh, it, it's setting things up. And I, I think another important part about this for the Bills, or at least it should be, is if they trade LaShawn McCoy away, all of those problems off the field that he's currently going through at the moment, all of the issues with his ex-girlfriend and the, and, you know, the other mother of his child, that stuff is, is done with for the Bills. That's not their problem anymore. So I think that would, at least to me, be a catalyst for trying to get him on his merry way. Because let's say something really does happen and you could have had a fourth-round pick. Not saying that it will, but let's say something does. You could have had a fourth-round pick for him. Heck, even a fifth-round pick. And instead, you're sitting in the lurch where he's stuck on your roster for a big salary. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of funny how they've handled LaShawn McCoy, considering how quick they were to rid themselves of Sammy Watkins, Ronald Darby, Marcel Darius. You look at the Marcel Darius trade, and the idea behind it being... You know, this guy was so such a, a cancer in the room that we needed to get rid of him at all costs. Those costs being eating a ton of dead money for a couple of years and then only getting a fifth round pick, you know, in return. I mean, you essentially got nothing from Marcel Darius and you took it on the chin in the dead cap to get rid of him. That was a desperate move to get rid of Marcel Darius and Mm -hmm. trading younger players. I mean, Reggie Ragland was traded for next to nothing. Um, You know, Sammy Watkins and Ronald Darby got them a return, but still young guys in their, their rookie deals. You know, Cardale Jones, they shipped out quickly and for nothing. So... Then you look at this situation and you say, that, you know, dating back to before last season, I thought this made sense to get rid of this guy while he still had value. Now I just don't think he has much. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem is that that's a position where you want a guy on a rookie contract, a cheap deal, and you want to get everything you can out of him while he's in the prime of his career economically in the NFL it doesn't make a lot of sense to pay an older running back the type of contract McCoy has but he's been worth it but there's a the law of diminishing returns applies at some point where Mm -hmm. you say we've gotten everything we're going to get out of this he's one hit away from being really on the wrong side of his career and he's one you know legal ruling away from being close to done Mm -hmm. so if somebody's calling and offering a fourth round pick even a fifth round pick you start to you know that's where you start to get into the point of you're kind of giving the guy away and you know maybe they don't want to do that when they're in the hunt yeah but you have to kind of take what you can get in some ways yeah you do and i think for him this is also going to be a uh a a part for the Bills where they have to admit a certain thing about themselves 
by doing so because, as you pointed out early on in, in the podcast, he is one of the top options, toptions, if you will, for the young quarterback, Josh Allen, and you would be taking that away from him. He probably is Josh Allen's, uh, you know, security blanket at this point because there's not really anyone on the roster right now that comes anywhere close to uh, to LaShawn McCoy's current value to the roster and them wanting to game plan through him. I mean, it was pretty certain that Sean McDermott went to the offense or offensive coordinator Brian Dable after that Green Bay game and said, you have to get LaShawn McCoy more involved. It has to happen. We have to run the ball more than, than we did in that game. And so be it. They did against the Tennessee Titans, and he was a huge part of the game plan, and they ended up winning. So Sean McDermott's probably going to think to himself, yeah, let's let's continue to to replicate that. And But again, in doing so, in in dealing with Sean McCoy, that is a clear indication of what they think of this year, which I think we already know. The way they've, be, they've been talking, the moves they've made all throughout would indicate that this is a team that they are, they are trying to build this year, and then 2019, 2020 is their t- the time they're going to win. But they have to wrestle with the idea of if they do indeed pull the trigger and are going on without LaShawn McCoy and a draft pick in their pocket, then they have to be willing to cope with the fact that Josh Allen might struggle a bit more, but... I guess that's that's another part of this is LaShawn McCoy's value and what he provides to the roster right now so great in terms of how he stacks up against Chris Ivory to where you would turn your nose up at a third or fourth round pick because I'm not sure that it is at this point with how poorly the offense has played in totality. Right. LaShawn McCoy isn't nearly as valuable running behind this offensive line as he was running behind a better offensive line, which speaks in a bigger sense to the value of that position in general. And if someone is willing to give you a third or even a fourth round pick, I would you know, argue that you can use that fourth round pick to get your 2019 starter at running back. Mm-hmm. You certainly can use the third round pick, but you, you could probably use the fourth round pick too. And teams have done that. So it would be somewhat foolish to pass up an opportunity to get a top three round or top four round pick. If it gets later than that, I understand why they would pass. I would still probably move on. Uh, And a lot of that, to me, has to do with everything that's going on off the field. And Mm -hmm. just not knowing when the other shoe could drop, if at all. And there were arguments to be made before the season that they should have moved on from him. So that's where a lot of this, uh, you know, the feeling for me at least comes from is that you might want to get out in front of that if you still have a chance to. They don't seem all that concerned about what could come. So, again, I think think they're definitely listening. And there's a, a little bit of time between now and the deadline for them to know for sure that they're going to be out of this thing because yes, they're two and three. No, they are not good, (laughs) but it goes back to what I've said 
I feel like going back a ways that I feel like I'm always saying this, but the AFC is really bad. And it's not crazy to think that they could be competitive. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs by any means. I just don't think they're nearly talented enough on offense. But the way the defense is playing, they're going to hang with a lot of teams. They have a chance to win in Houston this weekend. Mm -hmm. And that's probably creeping into Sean McDermott's mind here as he thinks about selling off one of the best players on the team. Yeah. That uh, that is part of it, which is why I think what happens on Sunday could be the biggest influencer possible. Because now they're kind of at – they would be at a crossroads because they have – the Houston Texans coming up, they're both two and three teams. The Eagles are playing tonight, and we're taping this on Thursday afternoon, so um, they, the Eagles will have played by the time some of you listen to this. So there's really no, I guess, push for the Eagles to get this thing done. But, all that said, if the Bills go to Houston and lose to the Texans this weekend. I think that opens up the door that much more to the idea of the Bills trying to move on from LaShawn McCoy via trade. The Eagles will be on a long week after their Thursday game. Uh, the Bills would be 2-4 and four at that point in time with another road game against Indianapolis on the horizon. And then after that, they have the Monday Nighter. So the possibilities of them potentially being... At best, three and five. At worst, two and six could be very real. So it might be within their best interest to get to the spot and beat the market before other running backs become available and and everything along those lines. So this is, I, I think this Sunday is very big for what they're going to do with, with LaShawn McCoy. If, if they lose and they're not competitive, then I think there's a, a fairly good chance that Brandon Bean picks up the phone and says, "Hey Philly, let's re-engage. Let's talk. Let's let's discuss this." But if they win that game and they get to three and three, I mean, they could. I, I'm thinking that Colts game is probably a fifty-fifty game, and there's a chance they could win that. If they do, at that point, they're four and three, and of course they would hang on to Lashawn McCoy. So this is kind of a a fork in the road game for the Bills here. And they're going to feel pretty silly if in a couple months they're two and whatever and they missed a window to get rid of LaShawn McCoy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they get nothing for him. Mm -hmm. I understand why, especially in the NFL, the way that the league is with what happened last year, you have to kind of think that you can be competitive. You have to think that you're in the picture because – who isn't in the picture right now? The The AFC is clustered together, and there's nobody really rising to the top. And so, you know, the Chiefs look really good, but it's so early, and they do have two wins under their belt to the point where they could trick themselves into thinking that they're in this thing. I think the, if they're realistic and if they see the bigger picture, they'll understand that, one, they're not going to the Super Bowl this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, the goal has never been to just back into the playoffs at 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7. and seven. But number two, 
and this may be the real question they have to answer. Does LaShawn McCoy make that much of a difference? That's what that's what I was meeting and, with with Ivory right. versus McCoy. And I think that is the other thing you have to ask yourself is is it that big of a deal? Is running back so important that, you know, they've stomped the Vikings without him. That's not to say they're a better team without him. It's just to say that when a lot of things go right for this team, having McCoy might not be a deal breaker. And so they're not going deep into the playoffs with or without him. And when you look at it that way, you think it's kind of a no-brainer. But obviously there are a lot of variables at play. He's also a captain, which kind of makes things a little bit weirder. But he just became a captain, so it shouldn't be um, too big of a deterrent for them moving on from him. But I just think I've thought they should move on from him probably earlier than uh you know i should have thought that but you could see the writing on the wall with a running back who yeah. makes that much money who you know is nearing the end of his career and let's also not let's look at it from the other side where it's probably good for LaShawn mccoy yeah he you know wants to compete and wants to make a run at a super bowl that's important to him and he wants to be in an offense where he can accumulate some yards which this doesn't look like it. So it would be doing good by him in a way. And plus, let's not ignore the fact that it is not a guarantee that LaShawn McCoy is on this roster either way in 2019. They could save quite a bit of money by cutting him um, in, ahead of the 2019 season. I think it's up near like seven, maybe even eight million dollars that they would save by cutting yeah, it would be a couple million dead and then a lot saved yeah it's, it's the first point in the contract where you say yeah that's the time to get out yeah and he would be 31 at that point i mean i get i get the idea of wanting to keep him but almost everything is pushing you in the way of trading him let's go right down the list his age there it is rebuilding this year Probably there it is. Uh, the offense having not uh, not that much of success, and you having to really rely on your defense even when he's in the lineup. Outside of that, his his contract going into 2019, you clear that off your books. All of the off the field stuff that's currently going on with him. I mean, quite literally, everything is pushing you in that direction. Logic should win over from that perspective. And I know Brandon Bean is a pretty logically based thinker. He does, he can get hit with impulsive moves every once in a while, but more often than not, he has a plan in mind and he has a pretty good idea of when the expiration date is of certain players. And so he usually likes to try and get out... Um, get out from underneath those things before the point in time where it comes where it's they've overstayed their welcome and they're no longer assets that you could move. So, if everything is pushing you in that way, I don't know. That's why I think this this weekend if they lose to the Texans, I think there's a pretty uh, compelling case to be made for LaShawn McCoy to get dealt before the Colts game. I really do. I think so. I mean, time is running out.
to make a decision. October thirtieth is the trade deadline. You know, it's getting to the point where you need to decide what you are, and I think they know what they are deep down. Mm-hmm. But they're always so careful about the message they send to the room and all of those things. So I I just don't think any of that matters because. Mm-hmm. They've been through worse. Last year, when you traded away Sammy Watkins, Ronald Darby, and Marcel Darius, that would have been the point where players should have said, what the hell is going on here? You know, we're, we're throwing the season away. But they didn't. And so now Sean McDermott has a clear example to point to. If he were to trade LaShawn McCoy in an hour, he could walk into the locker room and say, we traded three guys who were younger and arguably better at the time mm-hmm. than LaShawn McCoy and went and made the playoffs. This isn't about one guy. Certainly not about one guy who plays running back. Yep. Not, not to say Sean McDermott would send that message to the team, but, sure. but it's not about one guy who plays running back. So I think he has a, a an actual example to point to to justify this. And... In some ways, it's one of those deals where the longer it lingers, the more you're better off just getting rid of them. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. So, really, if it all it all boils down, like I said, it all boils down to this Texans game for me. And and if they end up losing it, then I mean, it's uh, I think there's a there's a very strong case to be made. All right, now kind of in the same realm, although not. Really, <laughs> uh, I think one line of thought that is existing out there all has to do with quarterback Josh Allen and what uh, what he has um, had happen to him over the past couple of weeks. An overall ineffective passing attack, and we've seen a lot of uh, errors from Allen over those two weeks. So the Bills, in response, went out and signed Derek Anderson, the veteran quarterback who's 35 years old and is essentially brought in to be that shoulder to lean on for Josh Allen. But for some reason, and if you disagree with me, Matthew, so be it. For some reason, there is a certain contingent of people out there that believe Derek Anderson was brought in to actually play, which, I don't know. I, I I like to think that I have a fairly good handle of what's going on around here. The notion of Derek Anderson starting games in Josh Allen's rookie season when the Bills themselves chose to put Josh Allen in that position is kind of ridiculous to me. I don't think there is any single way that Derek Anderson should see the field unless Josh Allen gets injured. Because if you do that, you are doing the same thing that the Bills have done to their last two first-round quarterbacks. E.J. Manuel and J.P. Lossman both had that happen to them when they were initially put into the starting lineup. You can't do that. It's just... I mean, Josh Allen is a fairly uh, confident guy. He doesn't let a lot get to him, but if he gets benched, his rookie year, after having all of this positive momentum going for him, that's going to mess with him. And they, they just quite literally can't afford to do, to do that. And for Derek Anderson? I mean, 
He was literally chasing around his three kids for the past month. His four, four-year-old, his two-year-old, and his one-year-old. You're telling me you honestly believe that that guy who has not really thrown a ball competitively in the past six months, six to eight months, is going to come in and be the starter in a week or two? Come on. Let's let's be a little bit more realistic here. Do, do you disagree with me here? If the Bills start Derek Anderson over a healthy Josh Allen, then they've lost their minds. <laughs> and, I mean, this phrase is thrown out there a lot. You know, something is a fireable offense. If you if you put Derek Anderson in the lineup over a healthy Josh Allen, it shows that you have absolutely no plan and no idea what you're doing when it comes to developing a rookie quarterback. And that would be arguably more alarming than anything this regime has done. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's in their plans. I don't know. I've been surprised by these guys before. But if Derek Anderson, who has never been good at pretty much any point in his career outside of a couple-month stretch with the Cleveland Browns when he and Braylon Edwards were cooking with gas. Outside of that, he's pretty much never been good. He's always been a backup. So if they think that Josh Allen is so unprepared to play that they need to put that guy in at 35 years old, over Josh Allen, they're completely clueless. Mm -hmm. And if they do that, you have to have huge concerns about, one, I mean, just how bad Josh Allen is, you know, just how unprepared he is if they were to think that. And two, what in the world these guys are thinking in terms of developing a quarterback, because I already have some reservations about the plan to develop this guy yeah same a guy who needs a lot of development as it stands but if they did that oh i know and i don't know that there's much teeth to it john clayton said that he thinks they should do that i don't know if there are others that are jumping on that bandwagon he's not the only one some some out there some fans some some media will will say think Derek Anderson has a shot to start in games this year and that's I think he has a shot to start in games this year because there's a pretty good chance Josh Allen's going to get hurt the way that he plays and <laughs> but that's this not, offensive line. I don't think that was the reasoning but if he were to get benched if a healthy Josh Allen gets benched for Derek Anderson again I'm not saying it won't happen I'm not gonna sit here and you know tell you make some that I'm going to quit my job or, you know, go way out on a limb here. I'm yeah, not going to, I'm not going to, you know, make some bold proclamation because I would not be, I mean, I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be floored. It's hard to be too surprised by anything these guys do, but if they do it, it will be monumentally stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it will be taking Kyle Orton and ramrodding him into the lineup, you know, instead of EJ Manuel. It will say so much about Josh Allen, and not a whole lot about anything else. Mm-hmm. That, and that is probably the most frightening part of, besides the fact of just Derek Anderson starting games for you right now. Um, I think the most frightening part of this would be if 
they deem Josh Allen so unready and to the point where they saw it and now they're afraid to do more damage, then that does not really bode well for the future, which is why it is the initial year of a quarterback starting is so incredibly important to the development of that player because that is supposed to be the year where you really just get all the uh, the habits that you're supposed to go with, the um, uh, how you're supposed to read the field, get those on-the-field perspectives done for you in that way so that way you have a base to operate from in 2019, in your second year, in 2020, your third year. But if you just completely rip the rug out from underneath that, it's just, it would lead me to believe that they are also having second thoughts about Josh Allen. And even if that's not the case, that would be the perception that That's the message you send, not just to fans, but to your locker room and to Josh Allen himself. Yep. Yep. And because that was the message loud and clear when Doug Marone benched EJ for a guy, Kyle Orton. A guy who had been there for a couple of weeks. Which, <laughs> this is, the last time we went down to Houston was the EJ meltdown game. Ooh, it was did, the game he got benched for. Was that week three of it the season? It was week four, week four, and Mike Williams had an 80-yard touchdown. And then J.J. Watt had himself an close to 80-yard touchdown, <laughs> or maybe it was 80 yards, on a pick six uh, from E.J. Manuel, and that was the next day E.J. got benched. And after the fact, Doug Marone, I, I think, even admitted that, you know, he was just afraid of ruining E.J.'s confidence. He thought if he didn't take him out then, then he would get ruined. He thought maybe if he took him out then, there was a chance to save him. But he, I think he essentially knew it was a lost cause, and if they kept going down that road, it could end in disaster. He yeah, thought, hey, yeah. if I take him out now, there's a chance that we can maybe salvage this. To do that, what, half a dozen games into Josh Allen's career would be alarming. Mm-hmm. Because that was at least a season and a quarter into EJ's career. Mm-hmm. But And that was a guy I don't think they were ever sold on to begin with. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. No, me neither. And if you're thinking it should, then I would encourage you to look up Derek Anderson's pro football reference page. <laughs> I mean, the guy, no offense, I'm sure he's great as in the mentor role as a backup and seems like a very nice guy. Mm-hmm. He's not all that good of a quarterback. No. And he's now 35. He wasn't all that good when he was 25. So, no. Keep him <laughs> on the bench. <laughs> yeah. I Give him a clipboard. I agree. And... It's it's pretty clear what Derek Anderson's role is with the Bills already because even in the first two days of practice that we've been able to see him when he's out there, he's just constantly like going up to random teammates, like trying to lighten the mood, like trying to get them to smile. I mean, he I watched him go up to Zay Jones, kind of give him a little bit of a a forearm shove, like trying to joke around with him and you could see a smile on Zay Jones face and then he went back over him and talked to him a little bit more so it's just like and he did that with some practice squad guys he did that with Charles Clay he did that with Josh Allen I mean this is this is what he was brought here to do to not make everything so serious but 
at the same time, help Josh Allen be able to see the entire field and help Allen kind of build himself from Anderson's expertise because it's a different voice. It's a because the one thing the Bills do not have right now on or they didn't have before Derek Anderson got here was someone who has been in the NFL that has quarterbacked a team before. And David Culley certainly isn't isn't that. And they didn't have anybody in the building when Josh Allen well, they had AJ McCarron, but entering the season after they traded AJ McCarron, they did not enter the season with a single person who has started a game as a quarterback and finished the same game. Unless, has Logan Thomas done that? Probably not, right? I don't think he did. I don't know. Logan Thomas isn't mentoring Josh Allen, and if he is, forgot, then... Forgot about Logan. Uh, I did forget about Logan. Um, if, if Logan Thomas is mentoring Josh Allen, then I look forward to Josh Allen's career as a tight end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. In a few years, because Logan Thomas has turned into a uh, an okay tight end. I yeah. don't think he ever started a game. Nope. Well, never started a game. But to have that experience, and uh, for Derek Anderson, and I think Sean McDermott told one story on Wednesday about how he would be on scout team, and they want him to throw to a certain spot. But instead, he would go through the the entire uh, all his reads and scan to the the target that's actually open on the play. That that is something that Allen could obviously benefit from because he has had nobody that could actually do that with him at any point in time with Bills. Obviously, if it's one thing to hear it from the quarterbacks coach from the offensive coordinator, but. It's another thing for Anderson to be able to go in there and and say, look, here's certain tells that you can look for from certain guys, um, from certain positions to to signify coverage. Because I think that's one of the, the real weak areas for Josh Allen, the reading the coverage, anticipating where the ball should be going, and when is the right time to come off that first read to go and scan the field, actually. So there's... There's quite a bit for him to learn. There's no doubt about that. And this should be the year that he has the opportunity to do so. So from that perspective, it's uh, it's good that he's here. But I just, I just can't get on board with the notion that he would ever actually start games for the Bills in a serious manner. No, I, think... I mean, if he starts games when Allen's hurt, so be it. But anything other than that... I mean, they are, that would be foolish in my mind. I think it's just interesting because we talked about this before the season when we were kind of discussing when the right time mm-hmm. to put a rookie quarterback into the lineup is. And, you know, talking to Joey Harrington and Kevin Gilbride and all these guys about the importance of having that mentor and, you know, what it did for some of these guys. Joey Harrington didn't really have it, um, but he did have a veteran around him. Um, Eli Manning had Kurt Warner. You know, these guys that had those guys to look at, there is value there because it can be like Derek Anderson could come in. Because here's the thing. Derek Anderson, as I mentioned, not that great of a quarterback. 
The fact that he's still playing at 35 means he does a lot else right behind the scenes to survive in the league that long. So you can learn a lot from a guy like that. He could come in and say, see how Josh is doing things for a couple weeks and say, hey, Josh, on Tuesdays, maybe this is what you want to be doing. Um, you know, when you're watching film, look for this. This is what I, you know, used to do. So that stuff can be very valuable. My only question is, you know, why now? <laughs> yeah. You could have done this a long time ago. Fair. You could have hired a quarterback's coach who's coached quarterbacks before. You could have hired Derek Anderson as your assistant quarterback's coach. Probably could have. Mm-hmm. You could have hired... Or you just could have hired a quarterback's coach who's coach. I'll keep coming back to that because I, it's kind of dumbfounding that they have a quarterback's coach who's never coached quarterbacks in the NFL before he got to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And they're entrusting a number seven overall pick. And you could sit there and say, coaching doesn't matter, whatever. I disagree at that position because there is a lot that goes into it. And we've seen the difference that guys can make uh, in Philadelphia in los angeles it's it's important and so yeah i agree that there is value in having a veteran quarterback in here i also would probably say there's value in having him in here before you know wednesday of week six so i don't know it again points to what is the plan and is there a plan i don't know i just don't know all right so we're on the same page with uh with this whole Derek Anderson actually starting games thing. Okay, let's uh, let's quickly get into it with uh, with what we're expecting out of this weekend's game. I think the line it was eight and a half, but I think it got taken off the board because of Deshaun Watson. Oh, true. Because of we don't we don't know if he's going to play or not. So I guess it would be tough to give a give a prediction at this point for uh, for what might happen on Sunday between the Bills and the Texans because if it's not Deshaun Watson, the entire complexion of this game changes. So, I don't know. It We could just go on a wing and a prayer here expecting if... Okay, let's do one if Deshaun plays and one if Deshaun doesn't play. How about that? Best of both worlds here. Deshaun's going to play. Yeah, I think so. If Deshaun Watson plays, I've got the Texans. Uh, I, I think... He will be able to make enough plays against these linebackers, against these this secondary, to the point in which uh, they'll have enough points to win this game. Because I am not expecting great things yet again from the Bills' offense against uh, the Texans' defense, which you know has still some really good talents. J.J. Watt is having a good year again. Jadavion Clowney, even though he was out on Wednesday with an illness, I mean he's just an awesome player. And so they, they've got a pretty good defense, uh, good enough to thwart what the uh, what the Bills are doing. So if Deshaun Watson plays, I will take the Texans to win. I don't know about covering or anything like that, but uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take the Texans to win. That's a cop out. I will not cop out. I no, because not. we don't know the line well, anymore. The line was like eight and a half. I thought but it was yeah. ten. I thought I, it I heard at, it was ten. I thought it opened at eight and a half. It's a, it's a weird game because I think the Bills have a chance to win, but because the Texans have not been good. They've been bad in the red zone. Um, they have a good defense, but the secondary is prone to mistakes. 
they it hasn't materialized. There's a reason why Bill O'Brien's probably going to get fired at some point. That said, they've got a great quarterback who's taken a ton of hits, but they've got explosive players who can make plays. And if Tredavious White isn't 100%, if, you know, Deshaun Watson is 100%, then, you know, that's kind of where the game swings for me. I think it'll be close because I think the Bills' defense will be able to to hang with these guys. But I think the, the main question for me is, you know, for how long? Because mm-hmm. the Texans' defense, I think that front seven is going to wreak some havoc on the Bills. So... I'll give the Bills a chance to cover here if it's at eight and a half or above. But I'm uh, I'm not confident that, that they're going to win the football game. Hopkins versus White is going to be quite the, uh, quite the test. I'm looking forward to watching that matchup. But the thing is, sometimes the Bills go into his own and then they don't have Tredavious over... Uh, the top guy and then that's when it leads to big plays for the other team because we've seen both Philip Gaines and Ryan Lewis get taken advantage of in that respect and Philip Gaines by the way um, was with the first team defense today uh, at practice so you would have to assume that he's probably going to get the start on Sunday which is I mean he's not awful but he's also not good and if there's ever a situation where there, where it's Hopkins against uh, Gaines, look out because that's probably going to not end up very well for the Bills. Well, even Kiki, how do you Kuti, pronounce his? Yeah, Kute. Kute or Will Fuller. I mean, those guys got some wheels. Yeah. And Deshaun Watson can move around. He's he's not as good as Aaron Rodgers. He's not as good as you know other quarterbacks they played last year. But he is different. And mm-hmm. he will make. He's been throwing for a ton of yards. He's been running for a lot of yards. He's if been Fuller, making a lot of plays. If Fuller can play, he's the one to watch here because he's probably going to be with Gaines more often than not. And and uh, well, that, he'll be without Gaines, IMO, because he will be true leaving him in the dust. T R O O true, indeed. All right, so uh, we both have the Texans. You have the Bills to to cover. I think I'm with you there. I'm with you. What happens if Deshaun Watson doesn't play? Deshaun Watson's play. Never mind. I'm. I'm not. We're not even going to go there. My favorite quote of the week was um, Sean McDermott when asked about you know how they would prepare or whatever, you know, with the two quarterbacks. He said, "Well, both of those guys have done great things in their careers," and I'm thinking to myself, Brandon Whedon has done great things. <laughs> Quick follow-up, if I may. <laughs> what Could the, you point me to some of those great things? Excuse me, Sean, what things? <laughs> That's a bit vague. Yes. Um, but yes, I think if Watson one of those, is playing. If one of those great things was convincing a Cleveland Browns team to draft him in the first round when he was as old as he was, then sure, that, that can be perceived as a great thing, right? Sure. Sure. All right. I guess. So we both have the Texans, and if that ends up coming true, well, Sean McCoy... The, uh, the intrigue and the speculation will only heighten as uh, we march forward into week seven and closer to the NFL trade deadline. All right, that's going to do it for us. My name is Joe Piscalia. With, with me, as always, is Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. We will next talk to you after the game at Reliant Stadium. In it's NRG Stadium. Is it? Sorry. Isn't it? 
Is it? Reliant Stadium was like. Yeah. That was like. That was the last time we were there. No, it was NRG Stadium the last time we were it there. It was not. Reliant Stadium was like back in Nam. It was not back in Nam. They named they renamed it NRG Stadium in. It was formerly. Let's see. They usually have a thing on. It Wikipedia was Reliant. Yeah, at one point. Uh, oh no, we don't want. We want NRG Stadium. Yes. It was. When did they change the name? I thought I just read 2014. Well, then that would be I've after we went ever last been time to it as NRG Stadium. Um, I don't know when they changed the name. Okay. Well, NRG Stadium, whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah, 2014. So okay. So it's, it's only been four years. Yeah. But still, whatever. And Accuracy that, is very important on the Bills Beat podcast. That was the last time we were we were there. All right. One great thing about. NRG Stadium, my favorite thing about NRG Stadium, which I don't think you were able to enjoy the last time. And I know what what you're going to say. Kegs in the press box. Kegerator. Or maybe just one keg. Yeah, there's a kegerator in the press box for the post-game activities. But you had already split, I think. I did. At That's the right. time. That's right. Um, but this time, the Bills I- Beat podcast will be recorded with a, a glaze of keg beer. Or maybe we won't. Who or knows? maybe it won't. You'll never know, really. Yeah. yeah. How will you know the difference? Yeah. It's I think really they, none of your business. I think they could know the difference <laughs> if uh, if enough depends was on how much keg beer. Sure. Okay, uh, that's gonna do it for us. Thank you all for listening as always, and uh, we will next talk to you on Sunday at NRG Stadium, whatever Houston. Talk to you then. See ya.